You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Welcome to Nobody Told Me. I'm Laura Owens. And I'm Jan Black. Most of us have heard of the Pony Express, and most of us don't know much about it. Our show today will change that. Some of the great legends of American Western history were associated with the Pony Express, and it's a fascinating story. It's one which our guest, Jim DeFelice, knows all about. Jim is the co-author of such bestsellers as American Sniper, American Wife, and Codename Johnny Walker. His latest book, though, focuses on the Pony Express. It's called West Like Lightning, the brief, legendary ride of the Pony Express. Jim, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today. Well, you know, it's uh, the pleasure really is all mine. Oh, uh, I like it. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for, for saying that. that. I have to know, how did you become so interested in the Pony Express? Uh, you know, here's the thing. I, I mostly write about heroes. I uh, wrote about, you know, as you mentioned, American Sniper, about uh, Chris Kyle, uh, Johnny Walker, and uh, codenamed Johnny Walker, Omar Bradley, Ivan Castro, a lot of um, a lot of heroes and people that, you know, in different ways are examples for us. And so um, what I was looking to do, though, I wanted, I'm very interested in history and have done uh, some nonfiction history. And I wanted to still do something about heroes, but I also wanted to do something that would be a lot of fun and have a lot of stories along the way as I'm telling, you know, the story of our country. And the Pony Express kind of embodies all of that. You've got all of these heroes. You've got these uh, mostly unsung, uh, wiry young men, 19, 20, 21. Those were the riders. Uh, and as far as we know, they were all men. Um, and they're, you know, facing danger every day. Uh, and you also had uh, these entrepreneurs uh, who were, um, you know, kind of, well, they were characters, first of all, but they were also uh, heroes in their own way. So it kind of all uh, all came together. And I have to say it was uh, it was so much fun uh, just doing the book and just doing the research and kind of revisiting the trail and uh, even... Uh, even wandering through some of the old, uh, some of the small, they're not old, but some of the small museums and, uh, and, and the places that have preserved the history uh, out on the trail and, and nearby that, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully I can communicate some of that, some of the fun that I had researching it in the book itself. Well, tell us more about really what the Pony Express was. What was the goal of it? When was it started? That kind of thing. Give us a thumbnail sketch. Sure. Well, the Pony Express, kind of the easy, you know, explanation is that it's a mail service, and what it what it did is it got mail from uh, from uh, St. Joseph, Missouri, which was one uh, terminus, all the way to Sacramento, California, and back. And it did it at what 
in that time was an incredible speed. I mean, they did it in 10 days. We're talking roughly somewhere between 1,800 and 2,000 miles, depending on, uh, depending, I guess, on which trail the, the rider or which shortcut the rider knew. And, um, you know, it's going through deserts. It uh, is climbing up the mountains. The Sierras, uh, you know, during the winter, the riders faced snowdrifts that were 30, 40 feet high. Uh, the desert, obviously, there's, you know, it's a desert. Uh, they also, and then you have uh, kind of the plains where they're riding. They faced, uh, they faced some Indians. They faced some miscreants, uh, shall we say. <laughs> and, uh, but they, the remarkable thing about them is that uh, they did not, they lost only through all of that. And there was an Indian war thrown in there and some other uh, misadventures, but they lost only one, uh, one delivery of mail. And that one turned up mysteriously enough. Uh, a few months, a few months later. So they have this remarkable record of delivering mail. At the same time, though, the, the, the service only lasts about 18 months. And it was actually designed from the very beginning as kind of what we would call today a loss leader. The, uh, three men who owned the, the service, uh, had, uh, very large conglomeration of different companies. And what they were trying to do was to set up uh, basically a monopoly of delivering uh, not just mail, but all sorts of uh, goods, information, and money from uh, from the east to the west, connecting California with the rest of you know with the rest of the U.S. It was a pretty good plan because, as far as you know, their main goal really was to get publicity. And also to, uh, in getting publicity, to get support for a big government contract that they were hoping would um, would help them build the infrastructure of those companies. The PR worked. I mean, the, the the Pony Express was an instant hit. The the riders were the superstars of their day. I mean, they were basically, if you take today's sports heroes and uh, rock stars and combine them, you almost get uh the, the the you almost get to the point where how famous these guys were they were lionized uh and they were kids you know and and they were you know everywhere they went oh you're a pony express rider well come on in have a drink <laughs> you know, that sort of stuff. and they were so, supposed to take a loyalty oath which said that they wouldn't drink but i guess just about every single rider broke this is that right oh well, yeah <laughs> You know, the one of the owners, uh, Alexander Majors, who was kind of the hands-on guy. He had he uh, he was an original ox driver, uh, really a frontier guy, great great human being. And every time, everyone that worked for the company had to. He would give them a Bible, and he would uh, have you know have you put your hand on it, and you know swear to uphold the company's rules and regulations and among those rules and regulations were two um well one said no drinking at all and the other said no cursing uh-huh. well <laughs> come to find out uh you know most of the people broke 
at least, well, I would say probably it's safe to say they broke both rules as soon as he was gone. Uh, but they did hold him in high enough esteem that they were pretty careful around him when he was there. What did it take to become a Pony Express rider? Well, you know, you you, you had to breathe. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. They, uh, You would have to basically be fairly athletic and fairly light and obviously a fairly good horseman. Most of the riders, uh, especially in the more eastern sections, say through uh, in the Kansas area, for instance, uh, came from that area and they knew, you know, they knew the terrain very well. And, um, you know, so they were, they were farm boys. Uh, but you, it was also a very athletic job. I mean, they're they're riding about roughly a hundred miles uh, at a stretch. They change horses every every ten miles or so. They don't um, they don't necessarily gallop the whole way, uh, but they ride at a fairly decent pace. You know, a pretty a little bit above a somewhat above a walk. So you know, if you can imagine being in a saddle for for that long, you have to be in very good uh, very good shape. And so, I mean, typically, you know, you can break the riders down into two groups. The guys that, you know, rode a couple of times and then, you know, said this job isn't for me. And then kind of hardcore uh, group of riders who lasted for, you know, for the entire service, the entire 18 months or so. Um, they, um, they, you know, the, the Civil War, what happens, of course, this is during, right at the onset of the civil war so a lot of these fellows uh, end up going into the you know going into the service and unfortunately you know a good number of them die in the war oh wow well let's talk about how dangerous it was for these riders who had to navigate their way through very difficult terrain through desert impassable mountains on and on and let's also talk about how it was for the horses who it seems like at least to my way of thinking seemed to be kind of afterthoughts to these riders well, the horses, they, they actually took, uh, very good care of the horses, um, because obviously they were a pretty good asset. And so that's why they would change them every, you know, every 10 miles or so. Um, you know, the horses were very, very valuable. They had several hundred of them. Um, and as far as the, you know, as far as how dangerous it was, oh, I was a walk in the park, you know, a yeah, hundred miles, what, you know, through snow, through the, um, now, obviously, I'm joshing. Yeah, I hear that. <laughs> it um, it it was fairly uh, it, it was fairly strenuous, and um, they you know because they're riding they're not necessarily riding every day. It's usually about it's at least twice a week. To generalize, we'll, we'll say it's twice a week. Uh, but you know, it takes a it takes a heck of a lot out of you, and it, they're not just riding during the day. Remember, they're doing it in 10 days uh, to get, you know, roughly 1,800, 2,000 miles. And um, so, you know, so you're going at night, you're riding at night, you're riding, you know, through storms, through tornadoes, you know, potentially running away from tornadoes, I guess, through snowstorms, you know, at night. Remarkably, it appears that only one person, um, you know, who who was, who was, you know, riding actually died, uh, kind of while, uh, you know, in the service of the, the Pony Express. And even there, we're not really too sure about the, the records, uh, whether, you know, was he, 
you know, was he really, you know, delivering the mail or anything? But the mail did actually go through every time. So as dangerous as it was, these guys managed to persevere. The the great thing, the thing that interested me, I thought that they would be bragging, you know, oh, I did this run in, you know, three, well, three hours or whatever it was. But that's not, that's not true. They, they, what they bragged about is how far they went. So, you know, so oh, I went, you know, 200 miles. I went 385 miles because the, the rider wasn't there and I had to go back and do the, you know, so they really saw it as, as endurance. And so it was man against, you know, against nature, really, uh, you know, which is another big theme in American history. And uh, one of the reasons that I really liked the, uh, you know, like the whole subject. Now, as far as the stations are concerned, there were station keepers. A rider would arrive at the station. How long would he stay at the station until he got his next ride? And then he'd go on to the next station or would he go back to the one he'd come from? Well, typically, and you know, we're kind of generalizing a little bit because there's so many, you know, we're over so much of a long stretch and it is, you know, 18 months and sometimes things were different. Uh, but usually what you would do is you would set off from a station, you change your horse, uh, every 10 miles or so. And the stations are about a hundred miles roughly apart. You would go, you would, um, you would, Exchange your, uh, they call them a mochila, which is kind of, you know, kind of a fancy, uh, mailbag that was specially made for them. And you would wait, uh, and hang around at the station until the rider from the other direction came. So there were riders simultaneously going from east to west and west to east. So depending on where you are and, and the schedule, you, you know, your downtime might be, might be two days. You might, if it worked out, you might not have any downtime at all. Um, and then, uh, generally the, the relays were, you know, twice a week. So in your off time, uh, depending on the arrangement, you might, if you lived nearby, you might even be able to go home. But for most of the, most of the riders, they're sleeping, <laughs> they're sleeping in the stables or, or in the attic sometimes of the stations. I read that it was typically about $5 per half ounce of mail. And so that's equivalent to about $130 today. So who typically sent letters? Because it seems like that would just be so, so expensive. It was very expensive. Uh, but you had, you know, a lot of people out in what, what was the wilderness and they wanted some connection with their relatives back east or, you know, they would, so they would send a little, you know, little note and they'd, uh, pony up the money, excuse the pun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, and get that communication there. You also had a lot of official, uh, correspondence, especially coming from California. Um, and some of the biggest users really of the Pony Express were the newspapers. And they would get, uh, what we would call, I guess, today bulletins from the East about, you know, things that were, were happening and they would print it in their, in their paper. As a matter of fact, uh, my book is actually structured around uh, one of the, the messages that uh, related to Lincoln's election, and uh, when they would, when the pony would stop at one of the stations, there was one of the each of the mailbags had four little pouches, and one of the pouches, three of the pouches would be locked because they were going generally going the entire route. But one of the pouches would contain kind of low stuff that was going to the local stations. And um, those messages would then be taken from 
you know, from the pouch and would be, uh, a lot of times the reporter would be right there or maybe is in a few towns, uh, you know, a few towns away. That message, which was, you know, a small little card or a, or a letter would then go to, uh, the newspaper there and they would, they would print it up. And, uh, one of the fortunate things I was able to do when I was doing the research on the book was find a lot of the, um, a lot of the, newspapers that have been archived and you see it, you know, fresh in, you know, just in from the, you know, Pony Express or the Pony, you know, writer brings this bulletin and stuff. So the newspapers were a very, very big user of the service. What's happened to most of the stations along the Pony Express route and and how much of the route is still around? Because I know you went to, to retrace it. I, I did. And, um, the, you can, the, uh, you can actually get online, you can find some very good uh, driving guides to kind of retrace the route. A lot of the route now, um, you know, has been obviously paved over. Um, I, um, the rumors that I trespassed on private property, I totally deny. <laughs> uh, the, uh, you know, it, it, what happened in a lot of cases we're talking about, you know, places that they're relatively small, um, hovels maybe would be the proper word in yeah. some instances. And, you know, the elements kind of just took over and just wiped them out. Uh, there are several though that are still, uh, in pretty good shape. Uh, you know, starting actually at St. Joe's where they have, uh, the, one of the, the original stable at St. Joe's has been preserved and turned into a museum and um it's a beautiful museum uh, and anyone that's in that area absolutely should go check it out just up the street from there literally up the street because it's up a hill is the Pate House which was a grand hotel that had only recently opened when the Pony Express started and that actually has uh kind of a replica now of the original, you know, the original office that was that was downstairs, just off the main lobby. Uh, you also uh, you have kind of the same thing in in Sacramento, where uh, Wells Fargo had ends up taking over the Pony Express, and that building also has been preserved. But in between, uh, you know, there are so, still some significant historical sites, uh, but uh, for the most part, you know, at the time. Yeah, you know, nobody's thinking this thing is gonna, you know, this thing is gonna last and uh, be talked about 150 years from now. You know, we use the building for something else, or you know, it just fell into disrepair. Sure. So, you know, so you know, so most of the buildings, uh, most of the buildings are gone, and mo- almost all, as far as I know, all of the well, we have replicas of the exchange places where the like that every 10 miles or so, uh, we we know what they looked like in many instances. As far as I know, all of the real exchange places are long gone because they were, like I said, very small, uh, small structures. And, you know, nature just kind of has a way of reclaiming things. Sure. What's your favorite story that you learned along the way while researching for the book that maybe Americans don't know about? One of the favorite, one of my favorite uh, characters, I guess, was Jack Slade. And I had, uh, if you're a Mark Twain fanatic uh, and you've read Roughing It, you've uh, you've met Jack Slade. He was a very tough, 
ombre, as they say. And uh, one of the things that that uh, amazed me while I was while I was out uh, happened to be in Julesburg. Uh, I went to roughly near the, the where the actual trail was is now actually a farm, and the field is is cultivated. But nearby, uh, you can find a monument to the to the Pony Express commemorating it, and behind that there's a fence, and then if you kind of look behind that and you look at one of the fence posts, you will see an ear, and the ear is hammered to the post. You say, hmm, why would there be an ear there, a plastic ear? Uh I I guess I should should tell everybody, or maybe I shouldn't give that away. (laughs) uh, Well, come to find out, Mr. Slade uh, Jack Slade was a superintendent uh, hired uh, by the parent company to straighten out some problems and uh, and to start up the Pony Express. Well, while he was uh, while he was getting things organized, he discovered that someone was stealing horses from the company, and he did a little more investigation. He found out that the person that was stealing horses was actually an employee of the company. He didn't like that, and uh, we can get into the whole story in my book, but uh, what ends up happening is uh, he ends up cutting off the man's ear and uh, hammering it, allegedly, to a to a fence post. And after that, they didn't have any trouble with horse thieves. I can understand uh, yeah. why. Yeah, that <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> what are some of the the myths or misconceptions that you find about the Pony Express that people have today? Well, you know, one thing that I guess everybody kind of believes, and it's totally understandable, is that the Pony Express ended because of the telegraph and the railroad. And while those technologies were extremely important, uh, obviously, in in our history and and extremely important at the time, uh, in, in actual fact, the guys that ran the Pony Express realized that it was going to be kind of a temporary thing, that it would have a short life. And rather than competing with the telegraph or the railroads, they were actually using those technologies. Uh, For instance, when in uh, the information about Lincoln uh, was passed partly by telegraph, and uh, they they made use of they made use of the telegraph, and as the lines kind of the lines kind of went west and, and east, they you know continued to integrate that into their service. Uh, same thing with the railroads; they were uh, they were especially let's call it entrepreneurial because. <laughs> The owners of the the Pony Express bid all of these towns around the you know, on both sides of the Missouri River uh, against each other as the as the location of the terminus of their their big station, and they got the best deal from St. Joe's, and part of that deal was to get a whole bunch of real estate near uh, basically where the train station would be. And so they were kind of, they were very hip on, you know, okay, well, this technology is going to do this thing. And so we're going to use that and, and that. Uh, and I think people don't necessarily understand how smart these guys were in that regard and, uh, you know, and why they were, why they were doing it. We, they definitely captured our imagination. Uh, you know, fast horses and, you know, man against nature and that sort of thing. But they were also, they were also playing the money angle. Well, why is it that 
learning about the Pony Express, I, I may be talking from personal opinion here, but I remember that so well from history class. And it just it did capture the imagination of everybody that I know who who talks about it. Everybody knows what it is. What was it about it that was so special? I think it's the, you know, I think it's the, every myth that we have about the Old West is kind of embodied or crosses the Pony Express in some way. We have, you know, Wild Bill Hickok, you know, we have the the outlaws or the kind of guys in the, you know, the gray in the middle. They're all there, but the thing, the the activity of the Pony Express is, you know, it's a good thing. It's a positive thing. And it's something that we can relate to today. We're always, this is America, we're always about speed. You know, we're always about getting information from one point to another. And, um, and we're also about, you know, we still like to test ourselves against nature. And, you know, and those, all of those things are kind of involved in the Pony Express. And there's just something cool <laughs> about oh, riding yeah. a horse, you know? Yeah, right. Um, yeah. And, or, and the other thing that I learned, you know, just in, in going back over the route was, you know, this is, this is first of all, such a beautiful country. And it's, you know, the distances are so immense. And you stand out there, you know, you stand out, um, you know, you get out of your car, you walk down, you get away from civilization, and you just look out, whether it's the plains or the mountain, and you and you say, "Wow, this is this is really America." And I think that all of those things kind of combine, and that's that's why you know I think the Pony Express today is revered for all of those reasons. Jim, our show is called Nobody Told Me, and we always ask our guests, "What's your?" Nobody told me lesson. What have you learned about the Pony Express or the riders or the horses or their stamina, whatever it might be, that was really eye-opening for you? I think probably the, the the biggest thing that I didn't know when I when I started working at it was what their real overall uh, scheme was. And, and and here I'm not talking about the the 19 year old kids who are who are riding. I'm talking about the the three men who started the Pony Express. They wanted to create a financial and transportation network uh, that would monopolize the, you know, just those things all across the West. And they had a pretty good model, actually. Uh, today, um, we know it as American Express. And it started, base, had started um, a decade, probably about two decades, I guess, before the Pony Express uh, in Upper New York. And had just become this, uh, even by then, a very you know, large transportation and economic uh, company. And as it happens, their main uh, kind of competitors, as they're kind of creating this empire, was uh, a company that's also still around and was started by a couple of uh, men who were part of the American Express, Wells and Fargo. Ironically, Wells Fargo's model for for doing everything was kind of the opposite of what uh, what Russell Majors and Waddell were doing Russell Majors and Waddell they would uh, you know they wanted to own everything and control everything and they were uh, trying to kind of build their infrastructure basically with um, large contracts from the federal government and then uh, taking other money from from people but the big uh, you know, kind of the big hunk of their investment was was basically contracts to deliver things for the federal government. 
Meanwhile, Wells Fargo, what they would do um, would be partner with many smaller companies. So they were spreading the risk out and they were never dependent. They they got some federal co- big federal contracts as well, but they were never dependent on any one, um, you know, one segment of their line. And the end results um, were, well, I guess they speak for themselves. We don't use, we don't leave home without a uh, American Express, but not a Pony Express. Part. <laughs> True. And Jim, how can people find out more about you and the book? Well, I have a website. They could uh, get my hit my website. It's jimdefelice.com. Uh, you know, I'm uh, creative in the books, but not creative in naming my website, <laughs> I guess. Uh, I have a Facebook page. The book has a Facebook page. It's called westlikelightning.com. Again, not very, not particularly <laughs> creative, but what can I tell you? Uh, and uh, hopefully the book is, uh, it's obviously available online at all the, the outlets and hopefully in their local bookstore. Jim, thank you so much for joining us. It's really been a pleasure. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And our guest has been Jim DeFelice. Again, his book is called, his latest book, he's done dozens, but his latest one is called West Like Lightning, The Brief Legendary Ride of the Pony Express. I'm Jan Black. And I'm Laura Owens. You've been listening to Nobody Told Me. Thank you so much for joining us. 